1: Welcome to the Parent Footprint Show with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan, and you're listening to our weekly podcast where our mission at Parent Footprint is to make the world a better place one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents to be happy, healthy, engaged, and aware themselves. Each week, we gain insight from an inspirational guest, author, doctor, professional educator, and parent to help us understand how having increased awareness allows us to be purposeful in our parenting and leaving a healthy footprint for our children and future generations. I would like to welcome my friend, collaborator, and colleague, Larry Davis. Larry, welcome to
0: the show. Dan, this is awesome. This is an inspiration to be, I mean, to introduce your show like you do, making a difference. That to me is, I'm there. I am there. I know you're there, and we're going to have fun today. We are talking about
1: From Surviving to Thriving, Finding Your Child's Sweet Spot at School, Home, and in Life. And before we get going, I'm going to tell our audience about you because they need to know what amazing work you do. Larry is an educational consultant, advocate, author, trainer, and educator. He has a nationally recognized advocacy practice where he helps innumerable amounts of people find that balance and sweet spot for their kids, and we're going to talk about that today. He's received several awards for his service He's thought of as highly insightful, intuitive, and an invaluable resource, and I can say that he is personally, from our professional collaborations. And he has two great books. One is Love, Understanding, and Best Practices. And the other, his most recent book, is The Insider's Guide to Special Education Advocacy, Taking the Path Towards Successful IEP and 504 Advocacy. Larry... Let's get into this. My pleasure. Why don't you tell our listeners how you got into this work?
0: Mm, Like you, I have in my past a love for summer camps. I mean, that was where it all began, where I just loved that experience, working with kids, being outdoors, and seeing everybody just have a great time and so I came to the conclusion where could I have that type of an experience as a professional have a career make a difference and I figured out it would be in the school setting like being an elementary school principal so that was my vision and so back in the 1980s I was a teacher for that particular path and eventually I became a principal in 1987, one of the youngest principals in the state of California at that time. And I thought... How old were you? My how old were you? Uh, Tell time, everyone how old you were. 31. Wow. And at that time, that was kind of a rare kind of little component because I was supervising people who could have been my basically grandparents at that, that particular time. And... It was an amazing job. I loved it. It was something that it meant so much to me because I thought I was on the path, the track to really make a difference in kids' lives. But I discovered after 10 years that it really wasn't doing that sense of fulfillment that I had, that vision that I had, because it was really more managing. I was really a program manager, a school manager, and I was working for a political process that really wasn't about my vision. So I needed to make a change. Hmm. And back in 1998, after my 10th year of doing a job I loved, I came to two conclusions. One, I couldn't do it anymore because I was personally just surviving. I was not thriving in that particular position. Uh And then the Mm -hmm. other part of it was I discovered that the thing that I was really good at, that I had a knack for, the thing that seemed to be like an intuitive understanding that just came through me, was this whole special education kind of consulting and advocacy and supporting people. So I put out a sign in 1998 when there was just very few advocates in the country at that time, and it's just been an amazing path ever since. What, what was it
1: that drew you, do you think, to special ed? Well, so there's two things, special ed and advocacy. Right. What drew you to those areas together?
0: Well, it was, it was amazing, was the schools that I was hired to turn around. I mean, I was hired, I mean, I was young, and I was that inspirational uh, principal to come on board. All the schools had one thing in common. They had very intensive special education programs where we had self-contained classrooms, classrooms with very intense kids, and I found myself... Spending more and more time in those classrooms than any other classroom because I loved it Not because the behavior was out of control and they needed me kind of settle things down It was because those were the places where I felt like wow, we're seeing some amazing kids in these uh, settings So that was one thing that came through the other thing was every time I was attending uh, IEP meetings individual education plan meetings, you know working with parents and teachers I would look at a file And I would just somehow look through it quickly and be able to synthesize information so fast and be able to say, you know, I get it. And usually parents would all of a sudden turn to me and say, man, you seem to get my kid better than anybody. In a very short period of time, I came to that discovery, that insight. And so around, I'd say that fork in the road, when I was kind of really thinking twice about, am I, can I continue to do this, being a principal, when it was becoming just surviving and frustrating at the same time, I came to the understanding that, wow, there are a lot more families and a lot more kids who really need someone on the inside working for them. And that's where the advocacy right. piece came aboard. Yeah. Well, and, and your your advocacy
1: is different than most and you can see this for those of you who want to read uh Larry's first book which i highly recommend you take a very personal relational soulful like hey guys let's do the right thing for this kid right i mean it, it it's different
0: it is um what what know, drives it what drives it ah oh, this is an amazing story in in around 1999 2000 when I was really trying to figure out this role, being an advocate, I remember uh, walking in a, a bookstore, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this book written by a Zen Buddhist author, Tik Not Han. It was a book called True Love. Okay, it just fell on my head, and there it was before me. And I read this book while I'm standing there at Barnes and Noble, and it spoke this amazing truth to me. And what it really is talking about in the book is the notion that true love is exclusively understanding the other, whether it be our children, mm. our spouses, our partners, our family, our friends, whoever. But in understanding is really the essence of love. And that resonated for me. And so years later, as I had an opportunity to communicate more of, of this kind of understanding in the role as an advocate, when putting the book together, Love, Understanding of the Best Practices, that same notion came through because what I find is if we're going to really move successfully down a path, helping kids to shift from barely surviving to truly thriving, we have to create a platform of mutual understanding to be able to come together as parents, as teachers, administrators, all, all players in this, and the thing that you said, like that it's a it's kind of a heart sense, you know, coming to a different place. I discovered along this path is there is one thing that separates us because it seems so easy. We should all come to mutual understanding and really work in the best interest of kids. However, our own ego, our own sorrows, our own hurts, our own pain, our own agenda and, and our own experiences seem to get in the way and separates us. So one of the things that I do in that book is I talk about, and this book is really written for educators, um, how to navigate working with parents successfully. It really talks about the, the sense of loss and grief and sorrow that many of the parents that contact me that are working with all educators across the country experience. And we have to acknowledge that heart space of sorrow, grief, loss first and really honor it before we can move on and create all these interventions and all these new ways to connect with uh, for kids.
1: Do you find you need to go through this process with the parents first before
0: even getting in the room with all the various agendas? You know, all I could say is I've, I spend most of my days sitting in a chair uh, from around six in the morning dealing with families who are calling me from the East Coast and I do this all the way into the evening. And the one thing I consistently hear from families is the following statement, you're the first person to have actually listened to me. You're the first person who actually seemed to care that what I'm going through, but more so what my son is going through or my daughter, you're taking the time, I really appreciate that. And within 30 minutes, I have people trusting me. They don't know me from Adam, I'm across the country but they're trusting me because somewhere in the process, they felt that I heard them. And number two, they feel like I understand. And it's just a matter of listening uh, and, and hearing the story. Because everybody has a story.
1: Everybody has a story. And so many of us have kids that just don't fit neatly into the system. And something that you and I have talked about a lot is how our worry and anxiety as parents we're raising a generation of it seems like sensitive kids, and even if kids are not on the sensitive side of that spectrum, the sensitive spectrum, we know that we we radiate energy, we radiate emotion. so what do you find about how parental energy, parental worry how how just how that even that can impact the situation and how important it is to help parents just be in touch with that?
0: That these are amazing questions because it, it it goes in so many directions. So I'll just try to take one part of it. Yeah, I do believe in the idea is what we believe is what we see, and if we continuously process the notion that I'm worried about my son, I'm worried about my daughter. Oh my gosh, the worst thing's going to happen, and we that we eventually start seeing that in the lives. In their lives and it kind of plays out in that in that particular path and so one of the things I try to do in this work is emphasize what's working you know what success do you see how does your son or daughter connect to the school experience for example or what do they do to connect with life in general when is your child at his or her best because we could sit there and go down that rabbit hole of oh my gosh this is terrible and my son and my daughter and what really happens is the first day a parent gets a diagnosis you know like adhd or autism or any disease or disability all of a sudden it, it could be a spiral path in in a whole different path because none of us as parents we never went into this going i really want my kid to have autism so they could really be the best they could be it's never like that but it's one of those things that I have to bring to the table is let's really look at what works, what's, what's the strength, what's kind of build upon something that's positive and move in that direction.
1: Right, and this is to our topic, how do we find the sweet spot? And um, we were very particular when we were talking about this show. This isn't just about school, right? Even though you spend your life, your days helping parents deal with their children's education this is so much more helping them find their place in life helping them grow helping them be whole you know how do, how do you find this all fits together
0: you know it's a it's we're in this amazing transition in in culture and society back in the day and I think being 58 years old born in late like the late 50s I think my generation the baby boomers we were like the, the last generation of that almost that assembly line mentality you know well if we just go ahead and we do the right thing and all of a sudden we get a degree and we'll get a job and so on and so forth you know and one of the classic conditions of that process is many of us woke up when we were in our 40s and 50s and all of a sudden we're going oh my gosh is this the life that i want so-called midlife crisis well the generation today, that's not the way it plays. Kids who are coming through today are here to do something remarkable. And I believe that with everything in my soul. And it's not about an assembly line. And so how this fits is we have to help these kids discover this gift that's within themselves. And it's really um, from the day one it really is it's and you're right it's not about school in fact school is is a very narrow box where life Mm -hmm. as we know it but more so life as we don't know life that's unfolding in the years ahead it's such an amazing mystery we want to help our kids to be able to thrive and be able to navigate through all the changes and all the amazing opportunities that are going to present itself and by Really embracing the gift within each child as early as we can that's the thing well you know
1: you're pre- you, you're obviously preaching to the choir on this one and mm-hmm. uh, now I'm going to represent Absolutely. the um, the critical listener. All right, Larry, so can you tell me how to help my child find their unique gifts um, when they are steeped in math worksheets and then have to explain why they got their problem and then write them out? And then they have to to read 30 pages every night and write an annotated bibliography.
0: I can go on, right? Is the system set up for that? You know, this is an interesting one. The, the beauty of where we are today is the fact that our kids are teaching us every single day that that model is falling by the wayside. And the way our kids are teaching us this is the level of anxiety that many kids are bringing to the table when it comes to school. Many kids who are just checking out, they're having fight or flight responses to that kind of program. It's epidemic. I mean really it's epidemic so what you're talking about is this common core we'll use that as an emphasis there's such a grand disconnect with that where every day we have children within all the classrooms who are saying I I don't play this game anymore so eventually we're gonna discover that the system's gonna have to change and so that's one of the reasons why I love doing what I do, is that in that process, helping parents navigate, whether it be gifted families, kids who are highly capable in that path, or kids who are really struggling within special ed disabilities and those kinds of contexts, an advocate helps navigate this thing. Because there's a, there's, there is a sweet spot. There really is a sweet spot. I'll give you an example. If we have a, a, a young man, for example, who's like 10 years old, classic in the sense of what a 10-year-old today does, he's not going to want to write about something that is irrelevant, especially if it is about maybe a a a character from a book that he read that has no meaning in his life. And so he's going to all of a sudden show some level of kind of avoidant behaviors and things like that. But if we can bridge that character in that book whatever it would be with something that that child loves to do you're all of a sudden finding whoa a whole new light that opens up i'll give you an example last year i did a crazy experiment i said i'm going to teach seventh grade social studies with gifted kids as well as general ed kids and in those general ed there were a number high number of kids who would be considered iep supported disabled kids so i went to the classroom And you went to the trenches, the trenches. And when I was like dealing with, okay, kids, we're going to learn about, you know, ancient Rome. This is awesome. I'm psyched. What about you? I mean, and I put out the textbook. There was a groan like, oh, my God, no, not the book again, answering (laughs) questions. And I'm thinking this is the easiest thing in the world, man. You guys, you know, we could just do this. this is great. And they're teaching me. Don't go there. And they taught me it in their behaviors, whether it be checking out, whether it be talking, whether it be just being disruptive, all that. And they basically told me this is boring. And we finally kind of came to an understanding that there's another way to make a connection. So a number of my kids went ahead and created an ancient Roman civilization through Minecraft, and then they had to write a little kind of expose kind of description of what that minecraft game as if they're selling the game all right to a consumer these guys the parents were complaining that this project was taking too much time out of their life okay (laughs) that to me is an awesome complaint and that's what we try to do each and every day is help the school system and these are people are good-hearted good intentions try to open up what they're doing to kids' interests. Because, going back to the comment, tomorrow's children are not gonna be working on assembly lines. They're gonna be asked to be the best they could be, the creative sense of who they are, to, to add to the mix of something we probably don't even know what it's gonna look like. Some of these jobs don't even exist today. No, but we're gonna have no. to ask and, these kids. You know, and
1: just distilling distilling what you just said, it sounds like making things relevant and meaningful. Oh. If we had if we had to get some, you know, magical ingredients that people the parents and listeners can take home, is is that it? Relevant and meaningful? Is that how you light a kid up?
0: <laughs> oh, you and I have talked about this many times. And you know, it's it's really the the there's like the three R's of sorts. And number one. Oh, yeah. Tell them about the three R's. Right. Three really, R's. We've been down this path. Is number one, there really needs to be relationship at the base. Um, as parents, we have to really open our hearts and open our, open our schedules to our children and slow it all down. Because that really is the nature of this. These are kids who want to relate to each other. I mean, when you see the number of kids who are at very young ages texting to each other, Facebook each other, social media each other, it's all about relationships. So that's it. And that's number one, the framework. Number two really happens to be uh, finding something that is relevant, making connections where it's based upon something that has meaning to them. Like the little girl – who is sitting in class and she's supposedly so-called spacing out because she's doodling on her notepad all day. She isn't really spacing out what she's doing is she's taking in the learning that's going on, but she's expressing it in the thing that has meaning to her, which is drawing. And so that's a connection. So if we could build for her, for example, a connection to curriculum, she has a chance to draw, design, to be able to create, through that type of expression, there we are. You know, we're making a connection in that particular light. And the third so we got one, relationship, yeah, please. What's no what's number three? You and I we've talked about this one is resiliency. Resilience. I mean, That's it. Yes. That's it. Resilience. Yes. I mean the fact of the matter is the life as we know it, we think this is crazy. These are times are crazy times, but they're actually remarkable. And the what's going to come down the path down the future, it's going to be even more kind of crazy and probably even more remarkable. And so for our kids to be able to endure this kind of lifestyle, they need to really have resilience skills. And for a lot of our kids going back to your comment earlier about anxiety, so many of our kids need to be taught emotional self resiliency skills dealing with anxiety. Because they're not seeing it modeled by their parents. And I can be the first one to admit this myself. I mean, I get just taken away by my ideas or work or business of different things. You know, do I really take the time to slow down? I probably don't enough. And this mm-hmm. is what kids really need is is the skill to be able to slow it down, to really bring their heart to a place of just of just balance. And these are skills that we could teach them. So resiliency, especially emotional self-resiliency, is really a critical uh, piece in this story.
1: Well, and I I agree. And I I equate the idea of resilience with survival, right? So you have to be resilient in the face of adversity, be able to deal with obstacles to keep pushing on. And there's this newer field, which, um, by no surprise, is called – is sort of the field of thriving. And so – if resiliency is surviving and pushing through, how do we get the kids to thrive, right? Like, what's that bridge?
0: You know, it's a it's a great question. What we have to do is, at a very young age, I think, encourage them to do the thing they love to do. Whether it seems mm-hmm. to be an obsession, whether it seems to be something that, you know, it's it almost gets in the way with life as we know it. But if we just let it unfold and, and support it, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, you and I have had conversations about our background. We both have extensive background in the gifted ed world. And so there are kids out there who have interests that are way beyond their parents' kind of field of vision. You know, it's kind of crazy, in fact, and many parents who have gifted kids are almost watching their kids like they're aliens and things like that. But the kids who are in that capacity of the highly capable world, who are really thriving as young adults, are the ones where their parents just trusted, and that's a key word, trusted, just let's just let it roll. If my son wants to go ahead and, you know, do Legos for three hours at a pop, let's support it. Let's see what it looks like and build from there and go on from there and the flip side of this equation i do a lot of work in the special needs world especially with an autism as a theme i i think that that area of focus that hyper focus it brings a sense of comfort to to so many of the kids that are in the autism spectrum so we need to nurture that not only from the standpoint it has an amazing kind of meaning centered interest-based connection but it also gives many of our kids on the spectrum a sense of calm and a sense of ease but more so it ultimately gives them a sense of accomplishment
1: so the big thing that you're saying here is you know it's not rocket science but it actually takes a lot of courage which is to go with your child's interests their passions their strengths and even at times we'll even call it their obsessions and um you're making me think of i was recently working with a uh, videographer and one thing that came up when we were talking about apparent footprint and being aware and this guy loves what he does he loves what he does and he was saying you know my parents really supported me and he said recently one of the other things he does is he's in a band and he said you know after his first big show at a big venue when he was just he couldn't believe that he was playing in such a big venue He called his mom and he said, thank you for lying to me. And she said, (laughs) what are you talking about? And he said, thank you for telling me that I was a good drummer and supporting me even when I was so bad. He said that support and that faith is what helped him work so hard to realize his dream of being a professional drummer. It goes right back to what you're saying
0: you know the the story resonates for me uh a lot because you and I have talked about this. My son, who is twenty five years old and he has a gift and his gift happens to be in the area of music he's a singer songwriter he's very compelling. he also has uh this nature to his personality where he's a self critic so he really you know looks at himself and really analyzes things pretty intensely so he he may not be putting himself into positions that uh, are going to be in the thriving category of his talent and his art as a musician, uh, but it's an amazing thing that I've seen at a very young age that... He could be anxious about his ability to write or to, uh, as a let's say, as a writer, you know, assignments, school assignments. But to craft songs, it came to him like easy. He could maybe have challenges socially in being able to navigate uh, going to a restaurant when he was a little kid or social situations with parties. But if he had an instrument in his hands, he could stand up in front of 150, 200 people and he could do it like it was no big deal. I mean, this mm-hmm. is something he, he presented at such a young age. And so my role as a dad, you know, I've learned that I have to just let go and trust. Uh, he's taken an amazing path, which includes – a lot of different careers that allow him to pursue music on the side. He was doing the restaurant industry for a long time and there were a lot of opportunities for him to do open mics at the restaurants he was working in or be able to find other locations at the same. Right now, he's doing landscaping uh, and it allows him to have his evenings off where he could go perform more. And so it's, it's, is he going to be a landscaper for the rest of his life? I don't know, and he doesn't know, but he's doing what he loves to do. But more so, the gift is continually being nurtured because he does play. He goes up and down like any artist. He has his moments uh, where he's really kind of like it's all – he's he's in it for everything. is all music, and sometimes he has to step away. But I know as a dad, I have to just support him. And the coolest thing is just two weeks ago, we had the opportunity to – uh experience um nashville um i had it said hey listen i get some tickets for us to go to nashville together would you like to go and this is for his birthday coming up and he just looked at me and it was like you know that is like the greatest birthday gift anybody has ever given me and i just feel like that's those windows he's 25 years old he doesn't live at home i you know i see him once in a while, but. Those little windows are there once in a while, but it feels so good as a dad, where, my God, I remember as a dad myself, when he was seven, eight, nine, was I looking for that window? Was I focusing on the gift within and embracing it? Probably not as much as I would like to have said, because I was too busy. I was just too busy to take notice. That's a
1: really important awareness, and and I guess the other message here in that Story is it's never too late, right? So no. Here you are, at twenty-five. You're supporting him. You're giving him this wonderful experience, and he just he feels validated and embraced. And. So surviving is kind of when, you know, maybe back to what we're talking about this. So surviving just isn't enough. Like surviving is better than not surviving, that's for sure. But it's like, how do we get our kids to thrive in an aspect of life where they're all in? And it doesn't have to be all day long because school, school, and school sometimes going to be boring. That's just the way it is. But where where can we get them to feel the feeling of thriving, being all in?
0: Well, I think there's one thing. It's like back in the day when we were kids, I know I'm older than you, but I think you grew up with the same notion that you, you know, you'll get to dessert after you eat your meal, you know. Yep. And it kind of got me through cauliflower and broccoli sometimes, you know, and knowing that that dessert was there. I think that's the same thing. Life really is about hard work. Um, And so we need to at times make sure that our kids have the dessert to look forward to and. I have to say when you're 6.5 hours a day in the box called school there needs to be at least one class where your kid is going you know I look forward to that and there needs to be kind of probably a, a moment in their day outside of school where they're going you know I really had the chance to be outside or I had a chance to play the music or I had a chance to do video games or I had a chance to do something I think that's really important is honoring that dessert moment You know, that thing that allows kids to feel happy, whole, and allow them to just feel that sense of fulfillment. I think that's really important. The other thing that rings true to me in this conversation is the work ethic. I think that is a a valuable um, kind of component of life today is that we have to help kids really establish that sense of the work ethic. So, for example, a number of my clients – they give their kids everything, and I, I see where that sometimes leads because it almost it becomes an expectation where I don't have to do anything. But a couple of my parents uh, that I work with, they did some really cool things recently. Uh, one of them happens to be the kids interested in uh, bicycle racing, like a BMX bike racing program, and the condition was for them to get the new bike. They were going to have to work for that new bike. And There's a novel a,
1: concept these days. Correct. Wow! They yeah. were going to have to yeah. buy
0: it themselves. That kind of what? thing. What? Oh, that's so, crazy. I know who would think of such a thing. It's almost something you report to the agencies out there for child abuse. But yeah. it really is, you know, that kind of connection. And those parents are telling me that what they're seeing is remarkable connections for the kids. And here's another one that really is crazy. For a lot of my uh, clients, the issue of the Internet is a big deal. Uh, the kids are just yep. spending too much time on the Internet, too much time on the Internet. And I just say, why give it to them so freely have them earn that opportunity to be on the internet. Have no, them internet's them co- an
1: entitlement. It's an entitlement. <laughs> God. All right, Larry, you're just going off
0: your rocker
1: here. What are these values you're coming from? You actually, you're, you're actually suggesting people have their kids earn items and actually earn internet time. This is this is nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Okay, with all seriousness, no. I mean, keep going because it actually it, it's valuable. It's
0: a but, valuable. But lesson. these are things I think encourage the gift within you know and and try to embrace it and just and and don't think about if your kid for example i mean one of the things that i discovered on this path is there was a period of time where almost every one of my clients their kid had a love for uh thomas the train okay it was this weird thing that was going through you know and parents would say yeah i'm trying to get my kid off you know thomas the train and i'd sit there go why you know if he loves Mm -hmm. it Or she thinks it's awesome and it gives them comfort. Let it be. In fact, some of my clients, uh, we actually incorporated Thomas the Train in their school experience where they brought Thomas the Train to school and they talked about the adventures of that train. A kid who had no writing ability whatsoever as a second grader is now writing about the adventures that they go on Thomas the Train. You know, it's something like that. There you go. Back to relevance and meaning. Yeah. Exactly. So that's one thing. And the other part is, if this kid wanted to buy you know another you know Thomas the train, when he's old enough to grasp the concept, if I do work and I could earn, you know that comes up all the time is having the kids earn the privilege of whatever it is that they're looking toward, uh whether it be a new guitar, a new toy, a new Lego set, whatever it would be, there's a sense of fulfillment, knowing that I get the opportunity to select that which I want, and I did something you know I earned it, so there's a sense of pride
1: absolutely it's awesome, yeah. All right. Now, Larry and I, we can talk all day long and um, I want to, but it's time for that parent <laughs> footprint moment. <laughs> you, you, you've avoided as long as you can, Larry, even though you already told us a nice moment and realization that you had with yeah. your son as an adult. How about one more? So the parent footprint moment for the listeners is when our guest tells us about when they became aware of themselves in a parenting moment or a parenting interaction with their child and that new awareness had a positive impact on their child. Okay. Deep breath. You
0: know, it's it's an interesting one, but I'll share. I got a phone call uh, when my son was a junior in high school. And uh, my son, he was in Turkey on a foreign exchange program. And this is probably one of the greatest experiences of his life. And the phone call basically went like this. This is the program coordinator calling me. And in broken English is telling me that my son was found on a bus and they had to take him to a hospital. And he had his stomach pumped, and the police were the ones who found him, okay? Now, this is not the phone call I would have in ever imagined, I ever imagined. I, I couldn't, you know, this, this is beyond the scope, the fact that I had to let, you know, I encouraged him to go to Turkey and encouraged him to go on this exchange because it was my romantic kind of vision of this is what, you know, cool kids get to do. But on the Mm -hmm. other hand, I Mm -hmm. discovered that what the cool kids also had the opportunity to do is they had a lot of freedom when they were there. And they had the opportunity to explore some of the privileges that you and I get to explore. But they're kids. They're only like 16 years old. And so it appears that my son, he uh, drank more than he should have. He was on a bus. And his friends, who were pretty irresponsible, just let him stay on the bus and figured that he would figure out how to get home well um he fell asleep on the bus and the police found him and they took him to a hospital because they find this very white anglo-looking kind of american in this very amazing place in the mid-east of turkey (laughs) and you know what are they gonna do with him so they took him to the hospital and they smelled alcohol in his breath so they pumped his stomach okay And so in this process, somewhere 5,000 miles away, I just learned, number one, I need to let go. And I need to trust Mm -hmm. that this will all lend itself to something, number one. And number two is I had to see this as a a learning experience of grand proportion and know that he's going to walk away from this experience with some insights and knowledge that just is remarkable. And in fact, when we talk about his turkey experience and it's probably as I think he's really proud of so much that he experienced uh, when he was at Turkey and of course this story is not one of those probably great moments but it's a part of it it makes it rich but the thing that I was able to let go of in the process as a dad is I know that somewhere down the line my son is gonna be able to turn to his son or daughter if he has that opportunity and he's going to have a knowingness that i never had he's going to have a Mm -hmm. sense of having been there himself that i never had Mm -hmm. because i never had an experience like that and i think that as a result it makes him a better person and since he's 25 i could say it makes him a better man and so that was one of the times as a father i had to just kind of just let go and trust let go and trust and give him the
1: space to grow yeah. right yeah. just give him the space thanks for sharing Larry and uh, I want to thank you for uh, bringing your soulfulness and authenticity to the show and for those of you listeners uh, Larry truly is a um, he, he moves mountains in a system which uh, has some inherent challenges in terms of bringing people together and helping families find their way from, uh, surviving to thriving. Uh, Larry, tell everyone your
0: website where they can find more about you. Thank you so much. Uh, that's specialeducationadvocacy.org. And you could contact me, direct me, uh, directly through my email at Larry Davis at org as well.
1: Thanks, Larry. That was fun. Always Dan. It's a pleasure. I want to thank the listeners. We'll do this again for sure. For those of you who are listening, thanks for joining us. And please visit us at www.parentfootprint.com. I would like you to think about the footprint that you want to leave with your children. And every day, ask yourself, what footprint do you want to leave?